Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Boy, we got some bad blood brewing this week. It's episode 313 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. And don't worry, nothing bad going on. As a matter of fact, something very good and something a little bit different that you're going to be able to experience. You can either read or listen to a new Black Widow story from Marvel on Serial Box. It's going to be called Black Widow Bad Blood. It is a very, very cool Black Widow story that you can either listen to or you can read. And if you listen to it, you'll be able to hear the voice of Sarah Natachani. She's going to be joining me this week, the narrator of this story. Going to dive in and talk about exactly what it's like to bring this story to life on Serial Box. Something very, very different. It's going to be available on April the 28th. So we'll talk about that. But first, you know... There's nothing new to read, per se, so we're going to take a look back at some number two issues and some follow-ups to reviews I did earlier on other podcasts, so it's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Kent, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. As you're browsing through things you might have missed, we go ahead and take a look look back at some things that we didn't get a chance to follow up on, so what we're reading this week are number two issues of number ones that we've reviewed on the show in the past that have already come out that you can actually buy right now and you don't have to wait. So I thought it'd be cool to do a couple follow-ups that I didn't get a chance to do, starting with Wolverine number two, of course, the 2020 edition from Marvel Comics, with Benjamin Percy doing the writing, Andy Kubert on the art, Frank Martin on the colors, and VC's Corey Pettit on the letters. Now, a little bit of a spoiler for issue one if you have not read it yet. What we do is we pick up where issue one ended with the appearance that Logan killed his entire team without even knowing that he did it. And you kind of get to see how that plays out and why. Actually, we find out very quickly who was involved and how but not why exactly they were involved. And this also follows up on this drug that is being produced called Pollen, which is only something that can be that, that, that is from Krakoa or is actually being brought to Krakoa. So we just find out that things extend by, out a lot further than you would have thought. It actually helps to have some familiarity with the Marauders series as well. Not absolutely necessary in order to know what's going on, but it would be very, very helpful if you had knowledge of Marauders or if you were actually reading it. I mean, it's pretty darn good too. So I don't know why you wouldn't be reading that anyway. Now, what you get to see is you get to see Logan go through this process of exactly what he's doing or what it looks like he's doing. Now, there's certain things of what he's been told and then what he knows. Is somebody just trying to make him feel better? It's hard to really say at this point. We do know the mysterious figure that is responsible for this whole thing and Logan's not the only one that gets affected by this. That much I I can tell you 
without really spoiling anything because you'll you'll I'm not going to tell you who, but you'll see how it plays out in this issue and it makes things very very interesting because how this villain is choosing these people to manipulate is very very interesting to me. And again, is this all a a mirage? Is this all fiction or is this all stuff that's actually happening? That's what we need to try and figure out because it seems like it's actually happening. But there's there's some that are casting a doubt on that. And I think therein lies the mystery, unless I'm missing something. I actually did want to talk about this spoiler-free because the, the reviews I usually do are spoiler-free. And again, if you missed it, I'm not going to be the jerk that spoils it for you. So there you go. I, I will say that this is certainly not a spoiler. The art was amazing in the first issue. It continues to be amazing, especially in those opening sequences where it's just... It's hard. It's hard to watch this play out only because you see who's involved, you know, on both sides of this thing. And and you're looking at this and you're going, no, no, how, why is this happening? How is this happening? And then the character design for the villain, I think, is really, really mysterious, really cool as well. So I will continue, continue to enjoy Wolverine, the 2020 edition from Marvel Comics, when I'm allowed to. When we're all allowed to, right? When these things start being distributed once again, I can't wait to jump back in to Wolverine once issue three hits. Also, something from Valiant Comics that I jumped onto as well, where it is Doctor Tomorrow number two with Alejandro Arbona on the writing, Jim Toe on the art, Diego Rodriguez on the colors, and Clayton Cowles on the letters. Now, of course, you you remember if I if you Heard my review of the first issue. This follows Dr. Bart Sims and his quest to save a universe. I say a universe because this is something where Valiant kind of introduces, well, not introduces, but leans heavy into the multiverse. And there's an explanation of the multiverse and how things are are connected and who can travel, you know, how Dr. Tomorrow is traveling through these multiverses and how there's some other travelers that are very, very important to this story. And if you're a Valiant Comics enthusiast, you will know who is who exactly these travelers are. You just might be surprised who's carrying the mantle. Is that enough of a tease for you to make you want to check it out if you're a Valiant fan? Also, don't, remember, don't forget, we've got the older Bart Sims and the younger Bart Sims. In this as well. So we get to see a little bit of training going on here as well. But this is all in a quest to stop Hadrian from basically destroying the current universe that they're all in. And the fact that he's looking for something that's very, very important. But side story here is that the younger Bart is kind of feeling it a little bit. Right? He's, he's actually kind of feeling the pressure. A little bit of this whole situation because things aren't exactly going smoothly for him. And he's turning into kind of an ass, quite frankly. I mean, you see how he treats his very, very good friend. And maybe it's just too much pressure for the young hero. I mean, this is something that he wanted at first. But he, he had anger issues in the first issue anyway. So that this should be really... No surprise. and But but he seems, you know, battle ready at the same time. So 
Issue three is how we're going to find out is when we're going to find out how this goes. And a lot of familiar faces look like they'll be a part of that as well. Another great issue with is art wise, because I mean, the colors pop, everything is so streamlined, even the like the shine on the visor of Dr. Tomorrow's costume. It just it just jumps right out at you. I love the suit, too. This is a cosplay that I hope more comics comics readers are reading Dr. Tomorrow because I want to see Dr. Tomorrow cosplays all over the place. It's just a cool suit. It's like a classic superhero suit, but at the same time, it's a really, really cool one as far as I'm concerned. So, again, another poll for me. I'm glad that I stuck with this one as well. Dr. Tomorrow number two from Bialyant Comics. Go ahead and add that along with Wolverine number two from Marvel Comics as well. That's going to do it for what we're reading, the Look Back edition. Up next, going to be talking about Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge. Once again, a spoiler-free review, and it's up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Ray Chase, the voice of Noctis in Final Fantasy XV, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you're looking for revenge or to protect your realm, have I got the movie for you. It's Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge, which of course is out on digital right now, coming out on Blu-ray and DVD on April the 28th from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. So I thought I'd give a little bit of a spoiler-free review of this. I know it's been out on digital for a couple weeks now, but maybe you've been waiting for the physical release. Maybe you just like to have the disc, and that's cool, and maybe you haven't seen it yet, so I don't want to spoil it for you. So basically, here's the gist, okay? And this is in the description of the movie. So this is maybe minor spoilers here. So let's just do this right off the bat. Hanzo Hasashi, better known as Scorpion. Well, I mean, it's Scorpion's revenge, so it makes sense. And that revenge is for the slaughter of his family at the hands of Sub-Zero. Now, basically, he makes a deal with Quan Chi in the Netherrealm to get his family back. And Get and in turn, he can get revenge on Sub Zero, seemingly. And then you've got Earthrealm, who is going to be defended by Liu Kang, Sonya Blade, and Johnny Cage. Now, of course, this means in the tournament of Mortal Kombat. Who's in charge of that? In this particular instance, it's Shang Tsung, directly in charge of it anyway. We know who's in charge of it in the overall grand scheme of things, right? Shao Kahn's, right? So the, you, you go to Outworld and let the tournament begin, but there's much, much, much more to it than that. And this movie is not as Scorpion-heavy as you might think it is. That, that much I can tell you right off the bat. It is Scorpion's Revenge. There's plenty of Scorpion in here. Don't get, don't get me wrong on that either. It's not like it's called Scorpion's Revenge and Scorpion's barely in it. No, no, no. Not only is he in it a lot, he plays a major role in quite a few of the scenes in this movie. That much I can tell you. What I, but, but I will say is this. This movie does a very good job at digging into the backstories of the characters that need digging into and just letting certain characters kind of roll. As an example, we get a good amount of Scorpion's backstory for good reason. It, it's kind of integral to the plot of the movie. We get a at least a little bit of, a, of an amount for Sonya 
we get enough of a backstory there to kind of get you in tune with what her character is going to be like. But with Johnny Cage, I mean, yeah, you you, you kind of get a setup of of what you're dealing with here with Johnny Cage, but you don't get a ton of backstory. You just let him roll and do his thing. And Joel McHale, and I, I thought this when he was cast, the perfect voice for Johnny Cage, especially this Johnny Cage that you're getting in this movie. Not going to tell you what that means, but I'm just saying that if this is what you're going to do with Johnny Cage, perfect that you get Joel McHale for this role because he knows how to play it and play it well. Take that for what it's worth. I'm not going to tell you exactly what that means. And in turn, I mean, Jennifer Carpenter is Sonya Blade. Wow. I mean, wow. Nailed it. Completely, 100% nailed the badass side of Sonya Blade for sure. No question about it. And Patrick Seitz, by the way, also amazing as Scorpion. And that's a character that, you know, you might think would be hard to bring to life, but Really not when you got somebody that does the job well. And and just the way that this movie was laid out, there really, really were no false moments in this, first of all. Second of all, when you're talking about the tournament of Mortal Kombat, right, it's like, okay, so do you not really focus on the tournament itself or do you focus on it too much? You could get caught in either trap, right? And the funny thing was is that while there was certainly more going on than just the tournament. You do get tournament matches in this movie. You get to see part of the Mortal Kombat, and you get to see certain settings that will probably be familiar to you if you are a longtime Mortal Kombat fan. And here's the other thing, too. It's like, okay, so you're adapting Mortal Kombat. How do you manage the fatalities and you know certain moves that are that are just really signature to the game? And, and I will say that you do see... Some of those moves, you know, if you're a Scorpion fan, I think you'll be happy. If you're a Liu Kang fan, I think you'll be happy. But they're not forced. It would be very easy to force something like that in just to get it in. When you do see these signature moves that you're familiar with from the game, it makes sense when they're done. That's And that's the best compliment that I could, that I could maybe give for this movie in this review period is that that there, there's nothing that is forced in that regard. It, it would have been really easy to just keep throwing these signature moves in there. No. And you don't see them all the time either. You see them when it is necessary, when it makes sense and you don't see them again after that. There's plenty of amazing fight scenes in this movie. Anyway, you don't need to bog it down with super move after super move. So I, that was very, very well done. And I did not expect that to be as well done as it actually was. And this movie doesn't really drag on. I mean, sure, it's it's on the shorter side. It's between 80 and 90 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. But the good part about that is, I mean, you could say, yeah, that's too, I mean, it's too short. I wanted more. But that's just it. You wanted more. Instead of fiddling with your phone or, you know, pausing it and going, taking care of something else and coming back to it. No, this is a movie you could easily sit down and watch in one sitting. And you're going to enjoy it from start to finish. And I will say, the fight scenes themselves are brutal. I mean, 100% brutal. Like, almost turn your eyes away brutal at times. And there are certain, there's a certain element that was brought about in more recent 
Mortal Kombat games that I will tell you that you will see in this movie. And I, geez, I see. I don't want to spoil that either because I, I thought it was interesting that they that they made that a part of the game. I, I will say this: you won't when when you be surprised when you see it, you won't be surprised by it, but you'll be joyed by it, and you will see it on more than one occasion. I can tell you that too. So there's just plenty to like in this. There's there's a couple of good plot twists. In here, you know, you think you've got things figured out, and you really don't. As well, see, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, end the suspense for you. But there are certain there are certain aspects of this where you might think you got it figured out, but uh, just be careful. Be careful while you're treading there. And one of the, and two more things I want to talk about before I move on here: the character designs. I loved the character designs. In this movie, I mean, yes, you stayed true to what you would normally see in the Mortal Kombat games, anyway. But I really, really loved that. You know, we got we got a little bit of a bigger Johnny Cage. It seemed like, right? We didn't get the the svelte Johnny Cage as much, so that that was interesting. I love the character design for Sonya that made her a little bit more edgy than we might have seen in, in previous games or in previous iterations. I loved what they did with Goro. I thought that Shang Tsung was right on the money. I thought Scorpion was right on the money as well. And Netherrealm was just done as far as the setting was done so, so well. So bravo to the character designs in this movie because if you get those wrong, you, you'll lose most Mortal Kombat fans immediately, right? I mean, at least I think you do. And one character that really surprised me that I actually liked more than I expected, and I actually thought, you know, played a bigger role in this movie than I expected was Raiden. David B. Mitchell's performance, excuse me, Dave B. Mitchell's performance as Raiden really stood out to me because Raiden's one of those characters where he shows up when at exactly the right time. And every, it seemed like every time Raiden opened his mouth to speak, it was something important. It was something that you absolutely 100% did not want to miss. And I enjoyed this movie so much that I don't know that I need a live action version of this. I mean, we, we already got the one live action. We got with, we got the first live action movie. Now we've got this. Now, now I'm going to watch the live action movie when they do it, don't get me wrong, but this was done so well that now you've set a bar for me. Now I know how well a Mortal Kombat movie can be done with Mortal Kombat Legend Scorpion's Revenge. Now when you finally do put out this live action Mortal Kombat movie, I'm going to have expectations now. And what's funny is, is that you get your core characters in this, but you also get some fan favorite characters here and there. But again, you're not just throwing character after character after character after after character, which you could absolutely again do in this. But they didn't just use characters for fan service or window dressing. No, no, these characters they they picked certain characters, they brought them out, and they left the door open. By the way for a sequel which I really really hope they get that we get. So I cannot recommend Mortal Kombat Legend Scorpion's Revenge enough. I really can't. I I'm I really I was hoping to like it and I ended up loving it and that's you know almost more than anyone can ask for from any movie. I was thoroughly entertained 
from start to finish. So you can get it on digital now, but if you're waiting for the Blu-ray and DVD, that is going to be April the 28th. Either way, I think you're going to enjoy the hell out of this thing. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge. Up next, there's some very interesting nerd news to talk about, and I'll tell you why next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Lily Mirajnik from Happy. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. For a galaxy that's far, far away, it sure doesn't seem that far away from where it was. It's time for nerd news. The reason I say that is because there is going to be yet again another new Star Wars series coming to Disney Plus, according to Variety, and it is going to be a female-centric series with the co-creator of Russian Doll. And here's the deal. This, First of all, this appears like it could be, and this is just me speculating, This it, it seems like this could be Dr. Aphra, and that would not be the worst thing in the world because, I mean, it it, it takes place between a, a New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, because, so this is supposed to be also centered around something that, you know, is a timeline that hasn't been, exp- part of the timeline that hasn't been explored yet. And I guess you could make the argument that that hasn't. And I'm not saying that it, 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 it has or it has not, but, but I'm just saying you could make that argument. And Dr. Afra certainly a very popular character among fans. And you could, you can absolutely 100% be okay with that if that was the case, right? And and then you've got Leslie Headland, who's going to be a part of that. Like I said, the co-creator of Russian Doll, who is certainly a, a a star in the in the in the industry right now. She's going to be the writer and the showrunner for the series too. So I mean, a Russian Doll caught a lot of attention, both you know with with viewers and with the award circuit too. So you get somebody like that to do a Star Wars series, it's a pretty big deal. So, and again, to, to lead a female-centric series, I think that this this is a smart call no matter what it ends up being. And I know that some people want the Old Republic, High Republic, things like that. But, and again, it just seems like even though they say that Rise of the Skywalker was, Rise of Skywalker was the end of the Skywalker saga, eh, no, you might not, not you might not directly reference it, but you're still kind of in that, area aren't you you're 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 outside the box but you're leaning up against the outside of the box i guess is what i'm trying to say and here's the other problem i have with this well and not not that the other stuff was even really a problem but my thing is can we just actually start making some of these things instead of constantly announcing them and not being able to get to them because we've we're kind of got a backlog here you've got that cassian andor's story that we need to do the the rogue one prequel we've also got the obi-wan series that we're going to be working on, and it just seems like things are piling up here, and now you're throwing another one into the mix. I realize you're trying to create buzz, but at the same time, what you're creating is a logjam, because who knows we're going to be able to get back to shooting any of this. So, while I think a Dr. Aphra series could be cool, and I'm certainly a Star Wars fan who who always wants more. I know that some people are a little Star Wars out. I'm always down for more. So keep giving me stuff that's good. That's all I ask for. Just give me stuff that's good, and you can pile on as much as you want. But I think we kind of need to stop announcing things that we can't actually get started yet, especially when it comes to Disney+. Plus. Think about it. They announced that entire slate 
on those Marvel live action series. Now it seems like all of those are in limbo right now because of the coronavirus pandemic shutting everything down. So we'll have to really keep an eye on this and see if they actually announce what it's going to be before they know when it'll start filming. Speaking of the coronavirus pandemic, we know that it's affected the movie theaters and and movie industry, uh, industry a great deal. And there was actually a little bit of a dust up with Warner Brothers Pictures earlier this week and a statement that was made of this all reported by the Hollywood Reporter. And it was something that was said during an investor call. And and it was it was from Mr. Stanky himself, John Stanky. And here's the deal. He actually said, and I'm not going to read the entire quote here, but he's talking about how the experiences are, are changing things right now. And that includes customer behaviors and expectations. That is part of a direct quote there. And they said that they're evaluating their product distribution strategy. But here's the thing that I really want to get. Where he says, and I quote, we're rethinking our theatrical model and looking for ways to accelerate efforts that are consistent with the rapid changes in consumer behavior for from the pandemic. And everyone went, whoa. What does that mean? Does that mean movie theaters are in trouble? What is the deal? So there was a certain reaction there. And then not too long after that, like a day later, or a little more than a day later, the studio came out. And again, with studio chief Aaron Sarnoff and Warner Media chief John Stanky, I want to make sure I get those titles in there too. They came out with another statement right after that and said, we are committed to and are excited about re- releasing Tenant in theaters this summer. Whenever theaters reopen, we, re- we remain supportive of the theatrical experience and our exhibition partners and are confident that our tentpole titles, including Tenant and Wonder Woman 1984, are exactly the type of films that will have people eager to return to theaters. So talk about a walk back. Now we know that Scoob is going to be going straight to video on demand, which I kind of called that, didn't I? On on one of the podcasts not too long ago when this whole thing started and we were looking at movie release dates being shifted and that one was pulled from the schedule entirely and it seemed like that one was the most likely to go straight to video on demand and it's going to be doing that on its original release date in mid-May. And again, not not a huge surprise and not a huge deal either. I don't think I actually think this movie will just do quite well on video on demand. I mean, if, if trolls world tour is the model, we could certainly see Scoob have similar success. I think, especially since there's all these different Hanna-Barbera Easter eggs that are going to be a part of this thing. So, but, but again, I, I think the quick walk back tells me that there was more to the original statement than it just being a misquote. And this is just my opinion here. If it was just a misquote, you come out and say that, right? You just say, oh, well, the quote was taken out of context. You know, the I know these things happen sometimes. Don't worry. We're fine. But instead, they released a larger statement that was almost like a, oh, wait a minute. No, no, we are really committed to doing this. It almost, the new statement almost raised more alarm bells to me than the original statement did. And again, this could be me reading too much into it, but it seemed like they jumped up to backtrack on that statement real quick once it started gaining some traction, right? 
So where there's smoke, there's fire here. And it seemed like they were nervous to jump on out there and reassure everybody that, yeah, we're still going to be releasing movies in theaters. But quite frankly, we don't know for sure how this is going to go. None of us do. And I think Warner Brothers wanting to get out ahead of that and exploring other options, how is that a bad thing? You know, and I understand you want to reassure your your part your your partners in the movie theater industry, but at the same time, there comes a point where if this drags on too long, where Warner Brothers, who has a ton of titles that are that like as they said that they're very excited about, if there has to be a decision a decision that needs to be made, do they want to be coming up with how to how to do that on the fly? Or do you want to try and make those plans now so you're ready when you have to make that decision and you can do it quickly, right? I, and not make mistakes, by the way. Them exploring options, I don't see how that's a red flag for anybody but maybe the movie theaters. But, you know, you got to be thinking about your consumer more so or just as much as you do the movie theater industry. And I would be, again, I'd be sad to see them go, but at the same time, if... if you know, these if, if this drags on too much longer and things are what they are, these movies have to get out somehow. And, I, and Warner Brothers looks like they might be trying to form a plan for just that. A couple of quick things here. Speaking of Warner Brothers, HBO Max is going to be launching now on May the 27th. Going to be moving forward with that. There's no major new original series titles that are going to be happening at launch. There's like an, an Anna Kendrick Live action series. The Looney Tunes cartoons one, though, that has my attention. I've been waiting for that for a while. That is going to be available at launch of HBO Max. So that's really exciting. Of course, there's going to be plenty of movies on there, like Joker is going to be on there, and a bunch of the big DC movies as well. I mean, you're looking at, you're going to be able to watch things like Batwoman and the Arrowverse series on there. So that's going to be really cool. I mean, you're finally going to be able to watch Friends again on demand and, and Big Bang Theory and things like that. South Park. Uh, Doctor Who, there's plenty of things that you're going to be able to watch for HBO Max. I mean, for my family, it's worth my money. I can tell you that right now, just just from the non-new stuff alone. And then once we get to the newer stuff, again, whenever that's going to be, then even better. That's going to be the cherry on top of the sundae for me, quite frankly. And here's the deal. That's where HBO Max has a similar advantage to Disney Plus in that they have such a great back catalog of not just their own properties for Warner Brothers, but the stuff they acquired for HBO Max, that that's enough to keep you busy until you can get to the new stuff. So they certainly do have a plan in place and it looked for, for this, and it looks like it's a pretty darn good one. And, and again, you don't know when this new stuff's going to be able to start filming, so you better have, you better have something to keep people subscribing. Until then, we'll have to see how this launch actually goes because Quibbly did not do so well. But this is not Quibbly. This is HBO Max. This is Warner Brothers. This is a big deal. I think they'll take care of business. Here's a, here's something that was not really that surprising to me, but surprising to a lot of others, and that was the big expansion from DC Comics into the digital realm. In case you didn't notice this week, DC Digital Firsts have popped up. On Comixology and your favorite digital retailers. I mean, you've got a new Aquaman title to talk about, new Superman, Man of Tomorrow, you've got Batman Gotham Knight, and you've got a whole bunch 
of other ones, Wonder Woman, Agent of Peace. And these are major creators that are attached to this, too, by the way. You've got Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor. You've got Robert Venditti. You've got Steve Orlando and a whole bunch of others that are involved in this. And that's just on the writing side alone. So there's a time. And this were, these were actually stories that would appear in the DC Giant title, but actually going to be released as digital first with a pretty good price tag. Two, by the way, I might add. And then they're also going to be doing DC Essential Reads, which will be free until June. And it's going to be different number one issues like Watchmen number one is going to be a part of it one week. They're going to have Sandman number one, Dark Knight's Metal number one, just to name a few that are going to be available. So they're giving you a little bit of something for free and something new. And these are going to be coming out every day. So it's going to be like it could be new comic book day. Absolutely Every day. So it's smart. I think I, I know that DC is catching some flack for this, but again, you don't know when things are going to get back to normal again. I mean, Diamond says they're going to start distributing in in around mid-May. That's the that's the target date. And I know that DC has kind of found out, found creative ways to start getting their books to shops again, but not all shops are open. Not all shops are going to be able to get these books out there. So they might just be sitting there anyway until they get a chance to open back up. Some places you still can't do curbside pickup for comic book shops. And some of these books are being shipped to their houses for some reason. So I'm not, I'm not saying that's what DC's doing, but that was one of the plans that Diamond had was to ship to retailers' houses. So again, while things are so up in the air, I don't see the problem of giving readers something new to read and also you know, trying getting them hooked on some of these classic series as well and doing that for free. I get that we the retail market you don't want to you don't want to hurt the retail market. I understand that. And you're worried that fans aren't going to come back to the retail market if digital gets too prevalent. But I think that comics is such a collector's market. It's not just about reading the great stories. It's also about collecting those covers getting those first appearances and things like that. And it's just not the same to do that digitally. When the direct market returns, when the print market returns, the fans will come back. The comic book fans that you want, that you were going to have anyway, are going to come back. Anybody that's going to stay on digital was probably more apt to be reading on digital anyway. That's just my opinion. So I wouldn't worry about that too much. Those fans are going to come back. I've got a pretty darn good feeling about that. And and we'll see, depending on how long this goes and how successful this is for DC, if anybody follows suit after that. Because right now, DC is kind of made to... The, the, they either look like the hero or they look like the bad guy right now. And we'll see how this ends up shaping up in the next few weeks or so if we're still not shipping new books to comic book shops and comic book shops aren't able to open and do any business. Finally, really quickly, let's talk about the Venom sequel that has a title and a release date now. It's going to be Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and it will be released on June the 25th, 2021, that announced by Sony Pictures. Yes, Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson are going to be reprising their roles as Eddie Brock slash Venom, and then you've also got Cletus Cassidy and Woody Harrelson's Carnage. Did you see the picture, though, that Tom Holland posted? I think it was on Instagram. It was Venom kind of chomping spider-man and then he quickly deleted it yeah that set off some alarm bells 
for fans. Well, not alarm bells, but saying, whoa, 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 what are you trying to say? Trying to say something here? And whether he was or he was just trying to have fun with some fans on social media in a time where we're all kind of stuck at home, good stuff from Tom Holland. I I think the title, I mean, a little corny, right? Let there be carnage because you kind of feel like that's going to be a line in the movie at some point. And that's one of those things that always kind of makes me laugh or, or roll my eyes, one or the other. But, I mean, I, at the same time, what else do you call it, I guess, right? You don't really want to call it anything like Maximum Carnage and tie it to a story that's going on in Marvel Comics because you know that that's not the model that they're going to follow anyway. So you might as well just give it whatever name you want to give it. And at the end of the day, does a title really mean much of anything if the movie's good? No. It absolutely doesn't. You've already, and you've already got and you've got Andy Serkis working behind the scenes. I think that effects wise, it was the first Venom movie was good. I think it'll be even better effects wise this time around. And I actually think that with with any kind of thing with motion capture, motion capture, when you've got Andy Serkis involved, it's only going to get better. So I think even the performances are going to get better as well. That's going to do for Nerd News. Up next, going to be talking to the narrator of a new Black Widow story that's going to be available on Serial Box. Sarah Natacheni joins me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Vanessa Marshall, voice of Gamora on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and Hera on Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So something really cool is coming out this Tuesday, April the 28th. It's called Marvel's Black Widow Bad Blood, which is a brand new story that you can get on Serial Box. And guess what? There's a very familiar voice that you might hear as the narrator of that. It's Sarah Natacheni. Sarah, how are you? I'm good, James. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, you've been a staple in the Pokemon franchise for a while now as the voice of Ash. So what's it like to work on a Marvel project for the first time? You know, it's kind of kind of a big deal. I'm very excited. I'm excited to make the jump. I'm not jumping. I'm staying I'm staying with Pokemon as well, but I'm also now doing some Marvel work. It's awesome. It's it's I'm so blessed to be able to do such big titles to do this work. I'm just very grateful to be a part of it. And how cool is it kind of that, you know, the Black Widow movie was supposed to be coming out on May the 1st, and here you are going a little bit earlier because that got pushed. Now you're the Black Widow story that's going to be coming out next week. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess that's kind of a big deal. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but yeah. You're I'm, filling yeah, a need. Is pretty great. Doing. I'm filling a need, and that's, you know, to entertain and in times of need, that's that's what I like to do best. When you're voicing a character, you're kind of preparing for a role, but when you're narrating, narrating a story like this, it feels like you need to set the tone, you need to you need the setting, you need to present several different types of characters to the listeners. So do you approach a project like this a bit differently? Yes, um, the approach was a bit different. When I was preparing this book, I was preparing not only the tone of the narrator, but also all the characters in, in the story. So it's it felt like a much bigger job, and it's, it's continuing. We're still recording, so I'm still very much in it. To discover the narrator, that was that was actually the easy part because of the writing. They made it so clear these writers how she should sound. It just it just came to me so easily, and I I mean I hope the audience agrees with me that that's how she should sound. Um, but the characters, I was very careful. I didn't want to copy anything that I remember from the films or from any other aspect of the Marvel universe. I wanted to, you know, make it true to what was written on the page and what's true to me. 
So the performances you're going to hear are subdued, but I didn't want to make them distracting. I didn't want them to pop too much and kind of take the listener out of their zone. So they're like heightened and slightly off versions, you know, kind of versions of, of me and versions of the narrator that you're going to be hearing. Now, Sarah, we've seen Black Widow in many different forms of entertainment, whether it be movies, comics, animation, a bunch of different things, and all are presented mm-hmm. a bit differently. So describe for us, well, that's boiling anything, of course. What's the kind of Natasha we're going to see in this story? <laughs> that's fun. She's, she's pretty casual. She's very confident. She's very casual, and she knows exactly what she wants and exactly how to get it. It's, it's been really interesting working with this text in particular because the narrator, in my mind, it kind of is Natasha. It's kind of her inner monologue. So she's definitely snarky and a little bit jaded, but also also very confident. You know, that kind of leads me into my next question, because when I read stories where I listen to narration like this, I always have a picture in my head of the character as the story is kind of playing out or characters in this particular instance. Now, do you do the same thing or is it just kind of a weird thing that I do? So, uh, no, I actually didn't. I, I let myself get fully immersed in what was written and kind of, I don't really see faces unless they're very clearly described. I kind of see nebula. Nice. <laughs> um, I see nice. the setting. I see the settings very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't say that I, even if I've seen the film, I don't really see their face. Like I'd seen Harry Potter and I remember seeing Harry as someone different in the book. And uh, that's okay with me. I love that. See, that's kind of that's kind of cool too, because the book, the the movies obviously came after, and the books came before. Mm-hmm. So you already had that idea of what the character would be. But I feel like Natasha's been presented so many different ways that you know somebody could close their eyes and it's a different picture for everybody. You you know what I'm saying? Exactly, exactly. So I just let I just let what these writers wrote. I just let that kind of inform who she was. We know and the I black... mean, she kind of looks like I imagine she kind of looks like me. I just see her as excellent. As, as me. <laughs> and that's the way it should be. That's absolutely the way it should be. Because it that's is now. the way now. it should be. It is now, right? <laughs> there you go. That's right. Now, we also know that Black Widow isn't the only familiar name that we're going to get in this story. If anybody's read the, the synopsis or the description, we know that. Now, how excited were you going through the scripts about some of the other Marvel characters that kind of gradually popped up in the story? So there is a new character that I'm voicing in this who is really, really great. And... um that voice came to me right away. It was so clear to me who it was. And it's kind of a, I don't, I don't, I don't want to spoil it. So I don't even want to say who the inspiration was, but uh, actually I can say who this, I can say who the inspiration is. It's not going to ruin anything. Right. Like my, the inspiration is John Malkovich. Nice. For some reason. Yeah. As I was reading the story, this new character comes up and I'm like, Oh, that's John Malkovich. (laughs) That's all you need to say right there. I mean, that's, that's high praise right there alone. (laughs) Yeah, he's a good guy, he's a bad guy, we don't know, but in my head, that's John Malkovich, and that's who I'm going to play him as. That describes John Malkovich quite well, actually, and pretty much everything he's ever been. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Talking to Sarah Natachani, who is the narrator of Marvel's Marvel's Black Widow Bad Blood, which you can get on Serial Box starting on April the 28th. That's when episode one drops. Now, Sarah, one one of the things I really liked about this project when, when I was reading about it was that it's broken down into episodes that are going to be released weekly. So do you think that works out better 
for a story like this and kind of builds more anticipation? Absolutely. I love this format. I love, 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 love this format. It's so, it, it's binge worthy. Everything, everything Serial Box has ever done, in my opinion, is totally binge worthy. I'm not somebody who can listen to an audiobook for some reason. Me neither. My mind just kind of goes elsewhere and it never comes back. Mm-hmm. So I love what they're doing and the fact that there's sound design and that the, the performances, the reads can be actually a little bit more dramatic and a little bit more tense. And honestly, it's it, to my ear, a little bit more natural. I feel like they're speaking to me rather than kind of speaking at me, which is what I always feel with so many audiobooks that I've tried listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of friends who do them and I think they're brilliant actors and brilliant readers. It's just me. It's, you know, maybe you too, but, that's why I love what Serial Box is doing. It's revolutionary and really, really cool. Um, and I and I, I think it's great that you're releasing it um, once once a week, right? Yep, once a week the, through July. Yeah. I think it is, or something right. like that, which is awesome. So I, I mean, that's I mean, that gets it's you so almost smart. the whole summer right there. So I'm just saying. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the build of the anticipation. There are shows that I've watched in my life that I, I the minute the clock strikes midnight, I'm like play. Yep. And that's what I hope this will be. I think it will be because the story is riveting. I can't wait to keep reading it every, every, every with every recording. You know, I read it uh, one episode at a time and I'm like dying to dive back into it every time. So, which is always a good sign. Very binge worthy. Always a good yeah, sign. Yeah, for sure. So I, I want to, mm-hmm. cause I, I get a chance to, to read uh, a couple of the episodes a little bit early and I, and I'm looking at, and, and I'm of course not spoiling anything. You're, you know, you're looking at some action sequences and I'm thinking, what's the direction like that when you're going into describing like a fight scene or an action sequence, how is it that you can dive into that? And you're like, I, I really need to convey every move to the reader. How difficult is that to kind of convey to build that anticipation? So what I found works, and it took me a couple of tries to actually nail this, I think, because the narrator and Natasha Romanoff are so closely related in my mind, I read all the narration pretty much from her point of view. So when she's in pain, I'm in pain. Mm-hmm. I, as the narrator, am in pain. When her opponent is in pain, I'm also in pain, but I'm a little bit happier about it. Yeah. <laughs> So that's kind of how I approach Ned. Those are my favorite scenes to do. I think they're so dynamic and so fun. Absolutely. Now, we're we're still in a period of quarantine and social distancing and things like that. So I feel like I've got to ask, especially since you've been spending time with some of these characters now, voicing these episodes. Mm-hmm. If you could spend quarantine with three Marvel characters, <laughs> who would you choose? Ooh, Natasha Romanoff, of Bruce course. Banner, and... Colonel Fury, I think I'd like to talk to him about some of the things that are going on in the world and what he thinks of them. I think Banner is one of the best calls that you could make because, you. you know, this guy <laughs> is going to be able to, I mean, at least if you're, if you're freaked out about something, you're not going to Google your symptoms. You're going to just ask him. Exactly. Yeah, he's a genius. See, and he's it, cool about it, too. Exactly. <laughs> and he's not going to freak you out or yeah. anything like that. You, you trust right. him already. Exactly. And then you've got, mm-hmm. you know, two great protectors, too. So why wouldn't you do that? Precisely. Exactly. Now, Sarah, before I let you go, there's so many amazing causes to support right now during this time. And you actually have one of your own. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, Voices Mm -hmm. for Fosters and what you all are doing? So Voices for Fosters promotes animal fostering. It's something that my mom and I have been doing for about two years. We fostered, I think, over 100 kittens, cats and kittens so far. We promote fostering, and I try to pair adopters with, with cats and kittens that need homes. 
I do a lot of outreach. We're all, you know, we do a lot of fundraising, which has been going nicely. And um, I disperse money to rescuers who need it. There are so many rescuers in New York who are totally underfunded and who don't have time to go out and do fundraising on their own. And because I have, you know, a bit of a name and a little bit of, you know, power to gain some attention for this sort of thing, um, we do that. So it's it's great. And this is a perfect time. I haven't had to really do much of anything, honestly, because the rescues, a lot of them are closed and a lot of rescuing is not happening right now. And a lot of people have suddenly decided now is the best time to foster, which is true. Um, you're stuck at home. Why not bring an animal in, right? Exactly. So, uh, so everybody's fostering. There are no cats, no kittens left. It's really hard to find someone to adopt. So I haven't really, I've been very quiet throughout this whole period. It's a great problem to have. Great problem to have. It's a great problem to have. Problem solved. Yeah, but it, it's it's bad because there are a lot of cats and kittens that are out in the streets and they're not being seen. That nobody can find them mm-hmm. because nobody's out. So we're going to have a lot of work this summer. So if you haven't gotten into fostering, now is a great time. Visit VoicesForFosters.org and find out all about it. I have a great Q&A that breaks it all down, how it works, you know, what the concerns might be. And I list a bunch of rescues that I love working with, too. So... This summer, it's gonna be it's gonna be kitten season for a while. Oh we're yeah, gonna, we're gonna have a lot of cats. So most get definitely. Ready. And while you're doing that mm-hmm. research on that, as a matter of fact, you should be listening to the first episode of Marvel's Black Widow: Bad Blood season one. The first mm-hmm. episode drops on April the twenty eighth. You can actually get the whole season, I think, for like nine ninety nine, which is insane with the amount of episodes insane. that you're gonna be getting, and you're gonna be hearing a lot of her voice, as a matter of fact. It's Sarah Natacheni. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much for having me, James. I got to tell you, I really hope that you're checking out Marvel's Black Widow Bad Blood on Serial Box, because maybe that's one of those things you didn't really think to check out. Maybe you're looking for something new, something a little bit different, and I could tell you that Marvel's Black Widow Bad Blood is definitely that. I mean, the, the story, it's, it's one of those things that you can really get hooked on, and you can listen to it. So, I mean, hey, when you're not listening to me, you should be listening to Black Widow Bad Blood on Serial Box. $9.99 for the first season. I mean, seriously, I think there's like, last time I checked, I think there's going to be 15 episodes, maybe more, in the first season. So, I mean, that seems like a pretty good deal, if you ask me. So, I, I got to tell you, I'll be, I'll be checking it out. So, hopefully, you will be as well. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks so much to Sarah Natacheni for joining me this week. Also, make sure you're supporting Voices for Fosters as well. If you want to know more about us, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Also following on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.